1: Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and On Demand wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everybody who's hanging out live. Smash the subscribe. Smash the like. Come and join us in the chat. Another reminder in case you didn't hear us on Saturday night. On Friday, we had a subscriber-only live mailbag questions from the chat are answers something that is just going to be a, a special treat for subscribers this season so make sure that you go and subscribe at youtube.com cover three and cut on those notifications you'll get an alert anytime that we go ahead and plan another live mailbag uh we're gonna go ahead and spin this thing forward we do have a pun for the review yes we've got to discuss the finale the ending of vanderbilt hawaii which whoo Thank goodness our doors are one to no. Never a but doubt. There were doubts. All right. Anyway, anyway, we will discuss that in a little bit. Uh, and of course, we're going to go ahead and, and get you started. You know, wet the appetite a little for Thursday night's big games, including uh, Florida at Utah, Minnesota, Nebraska, and much more. But for some news, including a team that will be playing on that Thursday night in the final game of the night, it is going to be the Arizona State Sun Devils and Arizona state is going to be playing against Southern Utah and less than a week before the start of their season, they find out that Arizona state is self-imposing a bowl ban for this season as a result of the ongoing NCAA case against the school's program. Again, a lot of these violations are from former coach Herm Edwards uh, and some of the recruiting violations, especially that were going on during the COVID-19 uh, you know the pandemic rules. So for the Sun Devils, the the fallout has been you know kind of hard to watch and hard to listen to. Reports indicating that the mood of the meeting was quote devastating, according to ESPN's Pete Dammel I don't know if y'all saw the Kenny Dillingham clip, but he has come out and he has just been very uh, upset and hurt for his players. That's what you got to do if you're Kenny Dillingham. Um, Tom, had How do you uh, take this decision and do you find it to be sensible or unfair given the circumstances of the ongoing investigation? Sensible and unfair.
1: Okay. both. First of all, it's big brain because you weren't going bowling this year anyway, so imposing the postseason bans like, okay, I mean, I understand for the players, that's still the goal and all that, but I feel bad for the players who Are thinking we could go to a bowl game this year. Now they realize that even if they win seven or eight games, they can't, or nine or 10 or 11 or 12, they can't go to a bowl game. But while it's unfair to punish the players on this roster, including many people who transferred in over the offseason for the mistakes of a previous staff, if you don't take this step to kind of try to alleviate any possible penalties coming your way from the NCAA, then you're just punishing the players two to three years from now. So no matter what you do, players who had absolutely nothing to do with what happened are going to be punished. It is on Arizona state's you know, leadership. It was on Herm Edwards and his staff. It's on Ray Anderson for all the stuff that they did during the COVID season that you weren't supposed to do. That is getting them in trouble right now. But as is always the case with the NCAA it's players who didn't do anything who get punished for it. So yeah, it's sensible and it sucks. I mean, it,
2: if I'm an Arizona State booster, like, I, I, how does Ray Anderson have a job? I don't know, right? Like that, really? I, I, after all the stuff he's done and, and allowed to happen under his watch, um, look, it, it definitely sucks for the players. It's not on Dillingham and his staff. Like, they just got there. I'm, I'm sure the decision was over their head. I don't think they're very likely to make a bowl. Uh, the The Super Bowl for them was basically always going to be that Arizona game at the end of the year, anyway. Like, there's some chance they make a bowl, but it's it's not exceedingly likely. Uh, so
1: they host
0: Oklahoma State. You know, like if, mm-hmm. if they yeah. had been able to like nab Gundy, who says that we will be playing multiple quarterbacks for quote quite some time. If you were able to get that one and then set yourself up, what was their win total? Four and a half or five?
2: I think it was four and a half. And you get yeah. what Fresno too? I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, is that right? I'm, I have a lot of these schedules memorized, just not all of them. Um, yeah, Fresno, Oklahoma State, Southern Utah. They they also they don't get Stanford, I believe, uh, which is maybe the worst team in the Pac-12, probably the worst team in the Pac-12. Yeah, uh, but hey, we can have Herm Edwards, uh, you know, just preach to us on ESPN, and just not even mention what went down there at Arizona State, and just get rehired immediately. It's amazing.
3: Uh, I agree with both you guys. I think Tom said it best like, you know, why not get in front of it, take your lumps while you know, and it's kind of a screw the players move, but those yeah. are all seniors, they're not going to be there for the long haul. That's just the harsh reality of it. I would be curious to know the timeline because the players just found out, right? Correct. Now, were they lied to? Because I'm sure this came up in any educated transfer that came in or somebody that went in there. Hey. What's happening with the investigation? Uh, you know, is there are there going to be penalties where I'm gonna have to pay? If they were misled and they've been sitting on this for a while, then I think it's a much bigger issue, which I think is kind of what you're hearing from some of the players. Then you wonder where their mindset is going into this season. Um, I hate it though. It's just one of those stories where, again, the NCA, the two biggest issues I have with it are the amount of time these investigations take, you know they take forever. And the lack of continuity in the punishments, the lack of consistency in the punishments, because you know you can fudge the system and kind of manipulate it to, to curtail it to your specific situation. You don't have a coach who you could suspend three games against a cakewalk schedule, so because he's gone and he's got a great gig, so you've got to do something that harms the players. Like I, all of it just sucks. Again, I ask over- a question. Oh, go ahead.
1: I just want to ask a question I've asked before. What if you just ignore the NCAA?
3: Yeah, that's why I'm surprised that. What if you just
1: do what you want to do anyway?
3: Isn't uh, people ask that all the time? You know, on a tweet or you put something out there. Why don't they? I mean, why not just say we're going to wait? And then even if they do suspend you, what's just their power? (laughs) What are you you going to go to
1: jail because you didn't listen to the NCAA? No, there's nothing they can do.
3: I think
0: the NCAA certifies bowl games. Like it is anyway, trash. I thought that we were over bowl bands, right? Like right. go back to the Tennessee case. And it, you know, one of the headlines is Tennessee avoids a bowl ban for these recruiting violations. And we come in like, this is a good sign that we are not punishing players in the present or future for something that they didn't have anything to do with. This is, I don't know. Would you, would you test it? Or do you know that based on the violations that it's so much stacked on top of each other, you were likely headed for a bowl ban anyway. I don't know. It's, it's a tough decision to make. I just thought that we were in a place where we were not going to see cases like this result in bowl bans, but um, Arizona state doesn't want to take that risk. They want year two of Jaden Rashada to be in a situation where they're going to Chase a Pac-12 championship game, which they are now ineligible for. Where they're going to chase not just a bowl game, but be. Oh no, there's not going to be a Pac-12 championship game. Daggone, a Big 12 championship game. Um, now, now they're going to be uh, in a spot where you know, coming down the stretch of a season where a bowl game was going to be potentially a coin flip proposition. <clears throat> gonna be tough. Hate it for them, big time.
2: I'm not gonna say it. It's mean. I'm trying to be more positive this year. No, say oh, it. it. <laughs> I, I don't really think that most of the guys that they got in the portal had like much better options to go to, to schools that were definitely gonna go play for bowls. That's fine. M- maybe now maybe there are like certainly they could have dropped down and gone to like some good G fives.
3: But I I don't it think there's a lot of it doesn't diminish the point though. Like if they sure. thought they were going somewhere they could contend, it's kind of messed up if they were given misleading information. No doubt. No doubt. And to everyone's point, how the heck does Ray Anderson have a job still? Is just <laughs> no. He's going to take
0: a victory lap for the Big Twelve move.
3: Yeah. Look at what I was able to do. Hey, do you see who's in the chat? Some
0: guy named Matthew Coca. Oh. Oh. oh,
3: what's
0: up? <laughs> if schools can schedule, let's see. I- I'll go ahead and pull this up. So, uh if schools can schedule games against each other during the regular season, why can't they just schedule each other for a bowl game? I don't know. Arizona State, Arizona State Arizona can play West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <It'll be great. laughs> play play it. Uh play it in Jerry World and call it uh call it some kind of ineligible bowl. Ineligible. Ineligible. There you go. Uh, uh news from the end of last week. The Big Ten said on Friday it will make availability reports mandatory mandatory on game days during the 2023 season. Uh right now, though this might be changing, uh, they are the only conference to have those mandatory availability reports. We've also seen uh, LSU's Brian Kelly has uh, discussed the way that they are standardizing their injury reports. The top line is this is a response to gambling, right? Mm -hmm. Like limit the amount of um, hiding or the motivation to try and deal with uh, the nefarious markets. And I'm not turning to you first because I said nefarious markets, but, but, do you think that this will actually create some sort of closer to standardized approach? Because there, there are few circles of the college football gossip sphere that are more electric than wondering about injuries and availability uh, as a result, as it pertains to gambling. Chip, you said this comes out on Saturday. Yeah. No, the, uh, the news came out on Friday.
1: No, no, but the, the reports have to come out two hours before kick.
2: Yeah. Oh, then, um, no impact. <laughs> no, I think it's a huge dog and pony show. Yeah. If, if if you run a big betting syndicate, you're 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 still greasing a trainer or a student manager, and, and you're going to know well before it probably. It, yeah, it's a dog and pony show to instill more public confidence in the game. That at least, like, hey, we weren't trying to hide this injury before kickoff, um, and I mean anything the Big Ten can do right now from a, a PR and image management standpoint, given the you know, the Iowa situation. Um, that, that makes sense. But no, honestly, uh, I, I think it has zero impact on, on the market. I will say, though, if you're like Kirk Ferentz and you've
1: got an 11 a.m. kick that day and at 9 a.m. a bunch of your players are suddenly checking their phones a lot, you know, you might want to nip that in the butt because you know, it might, be, <laughs> it might be getting into last-minute bets. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this really impacts anything. I do think this is more than anything, this is a move to get in bed with the sports books as another revenue source in the long run by having the kind of standardized, you know, like, you know, well, we've set out the injury reports to help the casual better on Saturday who is putting in his bets. Yeah, But, and I think that's very much in line with what the Big Ten is kind of heading towards because I it was, there was a video, Illinois football's Twitter account shared it last week. Tony Petiti was doing the, you know, campus tour that he's doing before the season starts his first year in charge. He's talking to Illinois football players and he's like, talking about how excited this, he is for the season and how excited they should be because they're going to be on CBS and Fox and NBC. So his talk to the players was about how they're going to be on three different channels this year, which gives you a glimpse into how the leadership of conferences works now. That's what's important to the players. We're going
3: to be on three different networks all day long. Do you think we get to a place where it's like the NFL where we get? You yes.
0: Know? Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. 100%. I, the worst
2: thing for sports books last year was the Cam Rising situation, right? Because, what about this year, too? Well, th- this is different, though. I mean, like, there, there was no, like, even clue that he might be out for that game, if I recall, right? Yeah. So if you're a sportsbook, you don't want people at home thinking the games are rigged, scripted, like, you want people – most people are going to lose regardless but the, you want people to have some confidence w- when they wager, and that you don't want them thinking, oh my gosh, I just got screwed by, by this coach. And I'm not saying Whittingham did. Like, there's a real chance that they didn't actually know up until mm-hmm. warmups just how much Rising could tolerate. But regardless of what they did or did not know, uh, at least putting out something that says, like, hey, pretty questionable. Hey, like, seriously, a game time decision there would instill more confidence in your casual better, I, I think.
0: And to like give a little context here um, cuz but that's a great callback. Last season, Cam Rising, you know, leads Utah to a win against USC, 43-42, huge game in the middle of October. The following week, Utah is off, you know, limited media availability as they're in their off week. They were back in action on a Thursday night against Washington State on the road. And the broadcast had no yeah. clue. Mm-hmm. And they were even mentioning on the broadcast. They kept Petros found out, in the dark. Yeah, we found out later that they had, you know, huge graphics packages. And they had planned out their broadcast with the idea that we're going to be talking about Cam Rising, who just led Utah to this epic win against USC, and he's not even in the game. And that's a that kind of scenario was um, a, a little bit of a lightning rod for criticism for utah kyle whittingham is sort of the pac 12 in general for the way that that was handled so i i think that we are avoiding that for sure as we work our way towards something like lsu is doing you know where it's going to be some standardized injury reports
1: you know coaches hate this oh yeah they hate having to give anybody any information even if it's
0: only but two hours but if they all before before have to give it whittingham if they all yeah, have yeah, to, all give to give it, do
3: it i think they don't they still don't like it, but they don't. They can deal with it. But you, but, you have, you know these people. You know how like paranoid they
1: are about every single little thing that they do in prep and looking for any advantage. They hate that even if it's only two hours before kick, they have to tell you that their second string strong safety isn't in the lineup
3: today. Oh, they and Whittingham famously will not tell anybody correct until yeah. the ball is kicked. You will not find out. Did that? The only reason I said push to this year, they put out their depth chart and they have Cam Rising QB one.
2: Yeah, but he's he's been I to, to Whittingham's credit, I really don't think that he purposefully misleads when he answers the questions. Like I, I watch his press conferences and he does not give much, but he generally does not, at least as far as I've watched him, I don't think that Whittingham outright lies. Like he's not like, hey, he's fine on a Friday and then the kid just doesn't play at all, doesn't dress on a Saturday. You know, lies so, of omission instead of lies of commission. No doubt about that. But like, I don't think that Whittingham's out there, like just outright saying like this kid's fine. And then he's not fine. So, you know, just, yeah. But he's openly discussed. I think he said, look, we want rising to be back in practice, like somewhere between 10 to 14 days. But he didn't say like, he has to practice 10 to 14 days before it's still mm-hmm. cam rising. Like, would you rather have Cam Ra- I mean, I guess we'll get into the breakdown. In, yeah, we will a little bit. Yeah.
0: Um, Coming up on the other side, there was still some some action that was going on uh, as we were wrapping up, including uh, the conclusion of Vanderbilt. Going back and doing my quick check. The last score we gave you was 28 to 14. Vanderbilt ahead by two touchdowns. Got sweatier than that. Get your hard hat on. So we're gonna talk a little post-game win expectancy in a pun further review. All that and a look ahead to Thursday. Next. back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, normally, we would have more of a full-blown upon pun for the review, but that's when we have, like, I don't know, uh, 54 games between FBS teams, not seven between FBS teams. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't some late-night action. Of course, the Vanderbilt game delayed and more notes that we have gotten as we've continued to comb over what was. And, um, Bud, it, you reference post-game win expectancy on here a lot. An advanced statistic that takes you want to fill me in I'm guessing like yards per play margin uh field position yeah. like a couple of those things into consideration in terms of who would win the game if everything was isolated on a down by down basis am i far off there I feel like we can give a little No
2: you you you're, you're not it, it, it's it's a formula that, that is just more predictive than the final score right right it, it kind of like really like like who who played better on a down to down trying to strip out some of the variance uh, sometimes it evens out sometimes it doesn't over the, the the large sample that is the entire season, certainly it it evens out for the whole sport. But like some teams can run uh, run way better. Yeah, I, a couple that were interesting to me. So uh, Jack State has a twenty five percent success rate for the game, which is just ungodly bad. UTep has a sixty percent post game win expectancy and pulls that out. Execution once you cross the forty yard line, converting drives into points certainly matters. And UTep had a whole lot of drives. Uh, past the forty, which are generally defined as as scoring opportunities. You know, whether that's you know Connolly or CFB data or game on paper or whatever the the you know, the stat uh, source that you guys like, uh, that's kind of how they define it.
0: And didn't For, uh, Dan- I mean Danny? Y'all came into the post game of that show as you were on CBS Sports Network. It, it was like, all right, congrats to Jacksonville State. But,
3: but <laughs> I mean, you had third and one going in, just on the you know right outside of field goal range. You've been running the ball pretty well. Your offensive line isn't bad. And you throw it not once but twice, and the first one's like a fade route. I don't don't know. It was pretty bad end of game management. You know, it's funny because the pre, the inside college football preview we did before, our producer was like he wanted us to pump up Dana Dimmel as this big year for UTEP and how they've kind of got things going in the right direction, more wins the last two years, and like preview, like he just wanted us to paint him in this positive light, and I'm like. I thought we had a discussion on here one time, but he could be on the hot seat. Like I'm like, man, and I that watching that unfold, I was like, holy cow, this he's going to get a lot of heat this this week and deservedly and deservedly so.
1: Is there like I know we have EPA for like fourth down decisions. Do we have an EPA yet for like timeout decisions?
2: I this don't is for Bud, think, obviously. I don't think Chip or Danny are going to know yeah, the answer. Yeah. To this one. I, I don't think it's public. Um, SSA, which is uh, Sports Source Analytics, they almost certainly have one that like that. There, I think they have a card, right, and mm-hmm. that, that they use in game because uh, you can't use an iPad, of course, because we're, we're stuck in the 80s. And uh, and then obviously, I know all teams. Pretty sure, like almost all the teams subscribe to those dudes. Uh, maybe maybe StatsBomb as well uh, have this, but uh, they get a post-game report of, "Hey, th- like this is what you did. This is like suboptimal. This is like tremendously suboptimal. Like, like you're really not doing a very good job here." Generally, taking a delay of game after taking a timeout. I, I always call this a Jeff Bowden because he was famous for taking timeouts after TV timeouts, uh, <laughs> including, I believe he did it twice in the game in the swamp where FSU actually won the the PK Sam throw, but just a a necessary, just, you know, buffoonery. I I, I call that the Jeff Bowden thing when you go timeout after TV timeout, but those would probably rate pretty low on that scale. Yeah, because I every fan base thinks their coach is
1: terrible with timeouts. I really think we need to go public with this stat so that way we can just definitively
2: prove, actually, your coach is good. This guy, he's terrible. (laughs) There are definitely some coaches who are better at it. Yes, not. You should be using your timeouts on defense. You have full control over what you're going to call if you are if you're prepped, if you have good communication up in the box. Right. You know, hey, if we come up short, we're calling this. Let's go. If we don't, we're calling this. Now, if somebody gets hurt, I understand. But like some of these teams that routinely use their timeouts on offense as opposed to defense, they are messing up. Offense has control. Timeouts as a weapon should be used defensively to stop the clock in order to get that last possession.
0: I like that. Good take. Um, all right. What are the, what were some of the other win expectancy, uh, win expectancy situations that stood out?
2: So FIU was nine or excuse me, La Tech was 99 and ha- had to sweat that. Uh, yeah. I thought a really bad job of game management by Sonny Cumby down the stretch, uh, basically playing for like a 46 yard field goal. Really? We're we're trusting the college kicker mm-hmm. that. That much there, uh, UMass was seventy six percent, which surprised me. Uh, I I thought New Mexico State would have been would have been higher given like the down to down basis. UMass was still pretty terrible on offense, uh, but then they they had the two uh, the two big interception returns as well. But uh, I, I guess they, they dominated in some other areas. Uh, I think Hawaii was like eighty two percent, which kind of surprised me. But the kickoff. There is some skill to being good on kickoffs. It's very not repeatable for the most part. So the fact that Vandy had the 100-yard kickoff, it the system's going to say, hey, if they do this again. It's not repeatable. I do think that Vandy could have driven on uh, on Hawaii again and again if, if they really needed to, I think. And I think yeah. they'll get some of this whole line stuff fixed. I, I watched this this morning. I, man... Like, I don't think they were getting their butts whipped at the line of the screen. I think, I think They miscommunicated some stuff. I, I do have some hope that they can get it fixed. And they held a lot of guys on defense too. Like two years ago, Vandy can't hold anybody on defense and, and hope to win a game. Like you tell me, Vandy hold, like held three or four important dudes and they still won. I'm okay with that?
0: Like they didn't play?
2: Yeah, because they, uh, they were they were dinged.
0: Still, still little little close for comfort. It, yeah, for I sure. mean, I'm just saying that like you're you're. In this matchup, and we don't need to like you know dive deep on it. I'm, I'm glad you were able to give a little rewatch because the top line for me was that offensive line and the inability to, I like, give AJ Swan some time to let those wide receivers cook. But if on a down to down basis, Hawaii outplayed like Hawaii feels like it won this game. How about the whole? Have y'all seen the Hawaii Stanford line the way that it's moved? So yeah, Stanford you know,
1: was a favorite, right? And now they're
0: are they really? I thought I saw. Stanford. No, they're not dogs. Right? No, no, no. It was Stanford eight and a half. And now it's uh, Stanford four and a half. Yeah. So, every okay. yeah, everybody saw Hawaii against Vanderbilt. And Tommy Nervous?
1: No, I'll probably buy back on Stanford if it's moved that much. Give me yeah. the Cardinal. Yeah, Lock saw, it up.
0: saw four and a half yesterday, and that, that seemed like I was going through and looking at all of the reactions for teams that played in week zero to see what the line movement was for week one. And Hawaii is the most dramatic. Where – you know, probably casuals and professionals who would take something like win expectancy would look at that and say, "All right, I think we need to change our power rating on this Hawaii team. It does seem like, you know, the improvement that they had throughout last season has carried over, so that they are a much better team than they were at the start of uh, of last year."
1: I'll also say, win expectancy does not have access to the GPS numbers. Twenty one point seven miles per
0: hour. Twenty one point seven miles per hour. That's listen. That's SEC speed. We told you all that it was going to be there.
1: I can't even drive on my street that fast without getting a ticket.
0: <laughs> Word.
2: Um, oh, there is a uh, that we 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 got one of those uh, mile per hour things uh, underneath the speed limit. So I've been checking my golf cart, and seeing like if, if I can <laughs> if I can get over twenty two. My my buddy got one. That's got Danny. You, you got a you got a golf cart? right?
3: No, got we the, did. We broke got down. the lithium we battery. Grid. We're in the market for one,
2: dude. The lithium like li- the lithium with a chip is this don't.
3: retirement
1: home central over here oh, what are dude. we talking about yeah. oh, I, sh-
2: sh- shout out to my buddy de hayes uh he <laughs> man they, they got they got their li- like the big lift and they go super fast and i, I think we're probably losing audience here but i'm Everything. like <laughs> i can't get a six inch lift on my golf cart because like my boys i mean i know we'll want to drive it you know in a couple of years and they're, they're going to roll that thing so
3: yeah going that's what I'm teenage daughters same deal yeah, Here's yeah, the the seminal seminal retirement can you can go thirty-one act, in the Olympia.
1: Uh, your-
0: listen, you do not want to with the combination of having two boys, both put a lift and supercharge the engine. The <laughs> right. Exactly, I'm, a horrible combination.
2: We're just—I'm just going right there at like twenty-one mile an hour. You know, like people are passing me doing like thirty-one. I'm like chip away, that's fine. Just <laughs> go ahead.
0: Coming up on the other side, we're going to go ahead and get you that early taste of Thursday's Week One action. Big game breakdown for Florida and Utah. Thoughts on Minnesota, Nebraska, and more. Next.
1: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you
0: to the
1: shy? Opportunity.
0: Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side.
1: A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. New CBS Sunday.
3: You collect rewards, right?
0: This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it.
2: You strong swimmer? So so. So so.
0: So so's okay. <laughs> Justin Hartley
1: stars.
0: Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Shout out to Coop watching live who just says get a roll cage. All right, now that's it for the uh, supercharged golf cart talk for today. Uh, Meet us back here Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, where we will be drafting our favorite week one games and shopping for golf carts live on YouTube. All right, Florida and Utah. It is the biggest game of Thursday night, the, the momentous kickoff of week one. We are in a situation where, as we hinted at earlier, we are unaware at this moment of Cam Rising's status. The line certainly suggests, and the line movement suggests, that there is uh, some doubt as to whether or not he will play. Let us take both considerations, both your assumption for what Utah is going to be this year with Cam Rising in the lineup, but then also the adjustments that might happen. What in the world Florida might look like with Graham Mertz as he takes over the QB one duties for the Gators, um, the home field advantage for Utah. Lots to get to here, Tom. What are what is a matchup to watch or a storyline? Like, what's the angle to this uh, Florida Utah game that that is standing out the most to you?
1: Uh, the the Cam Rising one is obviously very important. His health, Graham Mertz's debut, but for me. As far as the matchup is concerned, one of the things I'm mostly interested in is how well will Florida run the football against Utah? Because last year, Florida had Anthony Richardson. And having a player like that kind of skews your offensive rushing output And and in a way, it's supposed to help you be able to run the ball easier. And Florida did run the ball. They weren't terrible at it. But if you look, they were seventh in yards per carry. They were 17th in explosive rate. That's Anthony Richardson because they were 71st in success rate at 41.4%. So down to down, they struggled. And I think that really impacted their offense overall because they had a hard time getting in good positions on second and third downs and it left too much in Anthony Richardson to make something magic happen. And you look at this Utah defense, which traditionally you think has been very good against the run, but it wasn't last year. Like it was okay, but it was mostly just slightly above average. It wasn't great. So now that you lose Anthony Richardson and the advantage that should give to your run game and you're replacing him with Graham Mertz, who offers very little, if any, actual threat with his legs, there's going to be a lot on this Florida offensive line to open some holes. The Florida burning backs are going to have to probably, you know, figure out ways to get yards after contact and make guys miss. If you're going to go on the road and beat Utah in that environment, they are going to have to be able to move the ball on the ground. So for me, that is the one thing I'm really interested in seeing from Florida's offense and Utah's defense because I want to see if they can do a better job of plugging runs than they did last year because they gave up some big ones.
3: All right, Bud's got a battle oh, Bud the, is the button. In oh, there. Bud yeah. loses yeah. To the mute button one more time. <laughs> as soon as you leave, I'll flip it on the other side. I'll say Utah – and their necessity to be able to run the football because Tavian Thomas had a really nice game last year and they had a lot of quarterback run yards with Cam Rising. Uh you know, he had 91 yards rushing uh himself at the quarterback position, but I don't know if you can trust that again this year with him where he is. Do they try to make him throw from the pocket a little bit more? I would definitely be prepping for some wildcat because I think, you know, their backup also was hurt. Like I think you got to be ready for like a physical you know, kind of slugfest, ugly game from both of these teams if Cam Rising can't go and if there's backup issues. So I think Florida's front seven defensively and their ability to stop the run. And hopefully, like, I think that's what kind of scares you against any rushing quarterback. But a rushing quarterback who's a good but not elite passer is – Try to make keep him in the pocket. Try to make Cam Rising or whoever the quarterback is beat you from the pocket. You just cannot let him get those hidden yards and beat you down the field. And, you know, last year when the crunch time was came there, Cam Rising did have the big interception. You know, like I think you got to try to force him to pick, you know, pick you apart from the pocket.
2: Yeah. I think Florida uh, for them, it's going to be can can you avoid the the critical mistakes that can come on the road, right? That their Florida center has not been practicing uh, and he's an all SEC type guy. Now, the backup, I think, is probably fine. I actually saw him as a recruit, so I don't think you downgrade him that much, but the, Florida's best playmakers at receiver, uh, you know, Pierce All, who's, who's a vet, he's a you know, slot, and then some true freshmen who have some real juice, but also it's true freshmen on the road. Like, are they going to make the right side adjustments on, on on their routes, right? Like, it's not like, like Utah just runs one thing on defense. They're fairly complex, so I, I want to see how Florida's new pieces handle the adversity. Physically, I think UF definitely has the size. Um, I'm kind of curious how UF is on the edge. I, I think they're probably really good at defensive tackle. Um, and obviously on the one side, they're good, but Justice Boone remembers out for the year. Pal Ryland uh, transferred to Vatex. So I, I am kind of curious about the edge pass rush for the Gators. Uh, Austin Armstrong, their new DC, basically led the country in a lot of the blitz rate stats when he was at Southern Miss last year. So Florida is absolutely going to try to light up the Utah can Utah catch them in some sort of like blitzes with with, with with screens if rising doesn't go at least Utah has known about it for a month right and so they've been able to plan with their other quarterbacks and may, maybe they'll rotate a minute it's, it's it's probably a heavy run game from both sides I mean Florida's been kind of chirping about how good Merc is looked and, and I'm willing to maybe believe it but but I'm I'm willing to believe it after I see it. I'm not willing to buy in quite yet, uh, but if he plays really well against a good Utah defense, then maybe that team has more, more upside than we thought it did. And I think we all took them on, on their over anyway, or most of us did uh, for this year. So the rising piece is huge, but can Florida's young offense limit mistakes? And then how does Utah handle the blitz? Because I do think Florida comes after them early and often.
3: I feel Some bad. More- Go ahead. The Mertz thing is fascinating because you see Wisconsin fans getting chippy, like, whoa, wait, wait a second. We've heard about this great version of Graham Mertz before. Let's see it. I mean, they're more skeptical, too. I still think he's going to play a little bit better, but, I mean, to be thrown in a hostile atmosphere on the road is something he's got to prove. I, yes. I, think, I, don't, I don't think he'll light up the SEC. I just don't think he's going to be as bad, and he might be a little bit more conservative and just play to kind of not make that big mistake. But I think that might be what Billy Napier wants him to do early on.
1: What's the Bo Nix, like the old meme with Bo Nix, he's looking like a Heisman contender this year. That, except it's Graham Mertz and preseason training camp reports.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> uh, the, he's been looking really good. The offense has taken a step forward. He mm-hmm. really could be a Heisman Trophy contender this year. Yeah, and, that, and they put that on the, the two-building billboard of Bo Nix that they've got <laughs> uh, all over the place. I feel bad that I am, a, I am putting Florida storylines all the way down to like fourth most interesting. Oh, Florida is a bit player in me looking at this game as a way to look at Utah because Florida is talented enough and has a physicality and size, weight, height, you know, height, weight, speed, size, all those things. It's going to be a real test of how good Utah is in a loaded Pac 12. I love this game because of the way that it's going to expose potentially wide receivers for Utah who jumps off the page as like, that guy is a real difference maker. We love Keithy. You know, we love, but this is a big, like, running backs, tight ends. It feels like they're really good around the ball. And then as you get further away from it and closer to the perimeter, that I've got some questions. And you've got real, like, SEC defensive backs out there. If you get locked up, things could get really tough. Defensively, um, you know, Florida might have offensive line issues. But, you, man, like, as we discussed, Utah's defense, and, and Bud, you helped reveal this, those communication issues as they were trying to figure out exactly how to make all the different pieces of that defense, which is complex, fit together. They gave up a lot of explosive plays last year, and Florida has the athleticism. A couple great running backs and skill players who could really make you pay if you are making those same kind of mistakes. So as we look at Utah as one of those big four teams right at the top of the Pac-12, Florida's role in my eyes is more as like a a good litmus test for whether or not this Utah team can be a championship contender. Like, the, my takes, uh, my takeaways are probably going to be much stronger about Utah one way or another because of the level of competition they're playing here. Uh,
2: Mikey Matthews. We, I, I, I know we gave you a lot of freshman names and, and a couple of them hit, including obviously Zach branch uh, over the weekend. Mikey Matthews kid at Mission Viejo is, is definitely a guy to watch in this matchup came in, has had a really good camp from what I've been reading at Utah's twenty four seven site, and uh, you know Steve Bartle and those guys do a great job over there. But Matthews is definitely a name to watch. They also took Micah Pittman from Florida State, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's a very dependable player. So they're going to be challenged to to basically handle blitz, and that that's that's a challenge for your protection schemes. It's also a challenge for your receivers. You have to break off your routes at the right time, and we'll see how coordinated uh, this. If it is the backup quarterback, that's. Yeah.
3: That's, to me, the big storyline. I mean, obviously, everyone's watching that. But if you have Cam Rising, you would expect him to be able to handle the blitz, know where to go with the yeah. football quickly, and his elusivity, like he can get away from it. Backup, man, and that's one thing. If you're backup, the coach should always tell you, every coordinator, quarterback, coach, if you got to be ready for all the blitz package because that's going to be the tendency. As soon as they see a backup, they're sending it and seeing if you can handle it. And it gives you a lot of opportunity for some big plays. But if you're not ready for it, you're going to see it all night long.
0: Yeah. um, Also in the backfield, shout out to former Texas quarterback JaQuindon Jackson. You know he moved to running back, and he 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 provides another option there. And talk about I mean, I mean that's that's just right there, right? You know, in short red zone situation, Mm -hmm. JaQuindon Jackson could be able to go out there and give you the the kind of playmaking that you might get. Okay, we're going to be obviously picking this on Thursday, right at the front of the locks episode. Is there anything that could happen? Between now and then, that would change your lean on this game. I, I don't want to force anybody to make picks here on a Monday, but you know we're looking at it's down to six and a half. Uh, I think right now as a as a little bit of a consensus line. So do you do you think it's fair? Where what's your expectation for uh, how how the game's going to play out?
2: Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I mean this 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 game open ten rising is not like worth a full touchdown on the number. He's probably more of like a six-point guy. It's already moved four points. So I think the market is showing, and it's moved across a seven, which is obviously like fully across a seven, which is a key number. I think the market certainly thinks that rising is not going, but they think it. They don't know it. And if he doesn't go, I I don't think it would get all the way to three. You're probably going to look at something sitting three and a half, four. You know, the four to six is basically a dead zone in college football. Not that it's not worth anything, but it's certainly not, uh, not, not a number of people are trying to middle typically. So, I think the market is telling us that rising is most likely not going to play, but it's a most likely thing. I don't think that that the market knows for sure because if they did know, I think this thing would just go to four. So would need those injury reports. Um Yeah, well, I, we I, wouldn't I, get them till Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I can tell
1: you right now on Thursday's show, I'm not going to be locking anything up in this game because, unless we know everything that's going on, I'm not going to do it. But more than anything, I mean, and the totals dropped already too with all the rising stuff, but I would be on the under before I'm on anything in this right now. Because I just, I don't know. Like, I have questions about Florida's offense going into that environment with Graham Mertz. I have questions about Utah's offense if Cam Rising isn't healthy or isn't playing. It's just, to me, this seems like it's a big name kind of thursday night game but for me it strikes me as it could be kind of a rock
0: fight. Hey, listen, rock fights and I I learned not that it was a new lesson, but week 0 really showed you that sometimes it's not about winning it. Sometimes it's about losing it less than the other team on the field. And we could have another situation like that, especially if we've got a backup quarterback. Danny, you got any any thoughts before we move on to Minnesota Nebraska?
3: I, I kind of like Florida in this one, but without the – like, and that was going in under the assumption, you know, who the heck's playing quarterback for, for Utah. I mean, if I knew Cam Rising was starting, I would, I would back off that somewhat. I just think it's an opportunity for the Gators kind of to um, – I think physically on the defensive front, I think they, if, they, if, if Utah is more one-dimensional, I think they can shut them down.
0: But if Florida wins, do you, does it change your expectations for where Florida sits in the big picture in the SEC? No. And if Utah loses, it changes where you think Utah sits in the Pac 12.
3: Yeah. You're proving, yeah. you're making your point, counselor. <laughs> that was
0: <laughs> oh, very
2: well uh, done. <laughs> Florida's is also uh, running Spencer Fano, true freshman at left tackle. They announced that uh, this kid's a stud. If oh, so these, that's a good it,
0: thing. That's not like an alarm bells going off necessarily. Well,
2: I, I, I think just, I mean, the athleticism is off the charts. Apparently he's put on a bunch of good weight since he got there. He was one of these like super athletic guys who needed to add a little bit of weight. But I mean, I think the fact that they trust him, uh, I don't think they were super hard up at left tackle from my recollection. So it probably means he beat out somebody who's at least okay, which is encouraging to, to actually run him out there in game one.
0: Should be uh, very fun. All right. Big 10 conference opener, uh, Nebraska at Minnesota. That game's going to kick off at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can watch it on Fox. Uh, Minnesota a breaking in the uh, the Greek rifle as their new quarterback but we do have some experience at the skill positions even though we lose a, a household name like Mo Ibrahim uh, Nebraska a whole bunch of new not just Matt rule on the sideline Jeff Sims at the quarterback position of a couple other key transfers are going to be making up the Cornhuskers effort to win one score games or hopefully win them by more than one score after what has been a devastating trend for Nebraska from the Scott Frost era. Tom, what what are the big storylines and matchups we should have our eyes on with this one?
1: Uh, the Greek rifle is a big deal, I think, because, I mean, Tanner Morgan was Tanner Morgan, but Kelly, Kelly Akmanis is somebody, I, and we've talked about it on this show, I know that coaching staff is high on him long-term. I am not high on him in the short term, so I have some serious questions about that Minnesota offense and how explosive or two dimensional it can be. I still think we're going to see a team that's, you know, running the ball more often than anything short of a service academy with him back there. Nebraska defensively, like I mean, I it's hard to say what to expect from the Cornhuskers because new coaching staff, a very different looking roster, a lot of new players at key spots. How much of it last year was culture? How much of it was talent and roster? Like We're going to get our first actual glimpse into what has changed with the Cornhuskers this year. I don't have any real solid feel for what to expect in that game other than I do think Minnesota wins, and kind of like Florida-Utah, I do think it's going to be pretty low scoring.
2: (laughs) Yes. I think it could be. Um, So Matt Rule has a history of basically just punting year one like not seeming to to care he did address this in the press conference not not seeming not to care but like prioritizing establishing his culture over winning in year one Uh, but i I do think it's a little bit different i I think they're certainly going to try
0: oh yeah this scenario this is completely different situation than baylor or even temple
2: so i mean when it comes to this game does, does minnesota have casinos i know they have bars but do they have casinos Because if they don't have casinos, you already have a leg up on on what you had last year, right? In in Ireland, let's reduce the distractions. Let's let's make sure bed check for players and coaches uh, is is achieved and and hit those those bed check goals. So, uh, yeah, I I think Nebraska you know may have a chance here. Coaches in the ACC thought Jeff Sims was pretty good,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: like better than his numbers suggested. Rule has a real history of running the quarterbacks. Like they can probably piece together enough. I, but I'm interested in Minnesota, man. Like Ryan Burns told us that that Calick has, has some real juice to him, and maybe that's more of a 24 thing. But you know, what if he arrives a year early? I don't know. Like I think he's definitely has a lot better talent than than Tanner Morgan did. And Minnesota went out and they upgraded a little bit in in the in the, uh, the transfer portal at receiver. They, they got the Crooms kid. From Western, they got Elijah Spencer from um, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte, excuse me. Yeah, like they, they they may have some juice to them. I I don't think this is going to shoot out, but Minnesota's defense is definitely not as good as it was last year, given what they lost. Nebraska's defense is probably not any good at all.
0: Well, I mean, we're supposed to have Spanford and Altman Bell both healthy, right? I mean, yeah. when's the last time mm-hmm. that we've had both of those players available, active, you know, ready to go, rolling at the same time? I mean, we're not going to flash all the way back to a Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson kind of situation. But if Callie Akmanis is is there and is ready to go, I mean, he's, isn't he kind of just like a, almost a throwback? I mean, he, he's not a mobile guy. He's 6'4", funny. No, he he's can moved. win from the pocket a yeah. little yeah. bit,
2: but I think he can run some. Yeah, He's got them real
1: long legs. He's, he's, a, he's a long strider.
0: It gets it's more of a gallop mm-hmm. as, as he's able to go and get you what uh, what you're going to be able to get. Danny, what are you looking at here?
3: Uh, I'm excited to see Jeff Sims uh, with the opportunity he's got here playing. What, does he have better talent uh, in Nebraska than he did at Georgia Tech when he was there? He probably a little bit of an upgrade, I think. I Think this year for yeah, yeah. So I'm like I'm I'm always excited because felt like he was one of those you know young quarterbacks. I mean, remember his freshman year, he beat Florida State. It was kind of like oh, this kid's going to be a star. Uh, and then he probably got in some bad habits trying to win too many games because you're playing from behind, but he's pretty athletic. He's got really good, you know, a really good skill set. This would be interesting too. Cause I wonder, you know, if Nebraska wins this game, oh my goodness. Like the Matt rule, Nebraska's back is going to be off the charts. And then for BJ Fleck and Minnesota, you know, some of the off season stuff, the culture, you know, does that crop up again? Does he start taking more criticism? So, and if, and if Minnesota wins, like oh yeah you were supposed to nebraska's in a rebuild deal so uh, rebuild year so i think it's to be a, i think it's be an interesting game i i kind of don't know what to expect from nebraska um and I, I think i know what i'll get from minnesota i just wonder if nebraska can have some success stopping them
1: yeah the, the one thing that really i think is the deciding factor is but i, I know you mentioned that you think there'll be a drop-off and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a slight drop-off but i do think of the four units not including special teams the one I am most confident in going into this matchup is the Minnesota defense, just because yes. I think Joe Rossi has done a very good job on that side of the ball. So that, to me, gives the Gophers the edge in this game because I still don't know what we're going to get from the Nebraska defense. I don't know how explosive the Nebraska offense is going to be, and I've gone over all my concerns about the Minnesota offense. So I think if nothing else, that keeps Minnesota in the game It probably proves to be
2: the deciding factor. I mean, Minnesota last year was like a top – Six or seven opponent-adjusted yeah. defense, like that, mm-hmm. they could they could drop to like fifteenth or twentieth in in terms of like adjusting for opponent defense and still be by far the best unit on the field. But what they did last year was was pretty special and kind of went under the radar. So that yeah, Illinois yeah. defense kind of overshadowed them last
1: year, right? They exactly. Were really yeah. good too. <laughs> of course, I love the deadpan. <laughs> no, I'm I'm being dead serious. Yeah, Illinois' yeah. defense got so much attention cuz it came out of nowhere that people weren't really paying attention that Minnesota's defense was really good too. Yeah.
3: Also on can Thursday, we, oh, go ahead. Can we just real quick cuz I saw a couple of people put it in there about uh Gilbert. I feel like kind of the same way cuz they're excited about him playing tight end for Nebraska. I feel like the same conversation needs to be had that I have with Georgia fans who are excited about him. Like I don't is there a more unreliable player in the country considering, you know, historically and I I hope he's got things figured out, and I hope he plays and meets his potential. But my goodness, has he been a player that's had massive expectations everywhere he's been and has not even played much you know, as of late? Did he get a waiver? Well, that's what I was wondering, too. I was uh, going to ask you, because yeah. I know that was like a last minute. They were waiting to hear on it, weren't they? I, I haven't seen anything on his waiver. I think I as a former five-star, he got it, they it the other it. day. Still awaits three days ago. That was the headline I saw. Mm-hmm. Still waiting on uh, eligibility. It's a lot Walker, of transfers. All yeah. right,
0: mm-hmm. North Carolina wide receiver Tez Walker also still awaiting his uh, his his ruling from the NCAA on that appeal process, according to uh, rumors from around. He's still running with the ones, though. So, coaching staff still trying to. Get him ready for South Carolina. Okay, also on Thursday, Wake Forest will be in action against Elon. UCF opens up against Kent State. Uh, up in Spencer Pratt and Whitney Port Stadium in East Hartford, Connecticut, we'll have NC State taking on UConn. Um, Missouri in action against South Dakota. We've got the Trent Dilfer era starting at UAB with North Carolina A&T in town and Arizona State, as we mentioned earlier,
3: in the nightcap. Uh, Danny, are we going to be in studio? In studio, NC State, UConn, let's go, let's, let's go. Brandon Armstrong era kick off with a bang. That is a, it's a tricky game though. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I mean yeah. what do you? UConn's been on the up and up. There, I'm assuming they're playing at the rent, right? At Rentzler. Is,
0: is that what uh, Pratt and Whitney Stadium has been renamed, or they, we've <laughs> got a, uh, or is the rent now been named Pratt and Whitney Stadium?
2: Probably. You know they got a quarterback now at UConn? Oh, yeah. No, like like an actual quarterback. So um, I talked to him about this the other day. So they got Fangano from Maine, and Mm -hmm. he played for UConn's coordinator for three years at Maine. I remember last year they started – I forgot the – start. was it Roberson from from Penn State? And he got hurt like almost immediately, and they had to Mm -hmm. go to Zion Turner, who was definitely not ready. And they basically scratched and clawed their way – just figured out a way to coach their way to a bowl game. Their kids played hard. They played together. I, I am kind of interested to see what UConn can do here with a, a quarterback that they feel confident about. I mean, that, that was a team that would run, like, swing screens on third and eight because they just really – they had zero confidence, just five so, in the quarterback position. So, like, I think UConn could be a little feisty. NC State
1: minus 14
2: and a half. Okay. Robert with no, I with I Notre Dame on track. deck. You
1: got, you got the
0: look-ahead spot, man.
1: NC State minus 14 and a half. All right.
0: They, they, to fall short in this spot would be incredibly disappointing for an NC State program who lost a lot of starters but has a lot of experience. You think about all the injury issues that NC State has had over the last two years. Mm-hmm. The guys that are taking over that are not retired Quote, like in, in the magazines, returning starters, they've all played a bunch of football. They'll be perfectly fine, ready to take over. Brendan Armstrong experience should be um, should be fun too against this UConn defense. Bud, Danny, what else? Or Bud, Tom, what else are we looking at Thursday night?
1: Tom? We've got, got nothing that we haven't discussed.
0: All um, right, Kent State. Kent State plus 36 and a half. Come on. You give okay. me five yeah. whole touchdowns a kickoff, Chip. You did not read my betting guide, did you? They they are called the Golden Flashes. All right.
2: <laughs> yeah, but but nobody knows what this guy's going to run. He's never been a head coach. Like the the coordinator was like at Arkansas State for a minute. Like, are, are, what are? Look, clearly Kent State is bad, but there's some kind of how do you figure just how bad? Right? Are they like? You know, just a, a typical UMass bad? Are they what Nevada was last year in, in a rebuild? Or are they more like a team that you're like, oh, God, this is worse than an FCS team? I, I don't really know. You know, like Sean Lewis and his staff did such a good job there that it kind of reset our expectations to what Kent State could be. But for the most of our lives, Kent State has been you know, a fairly bad team. But if you're UCF, we are dealing with a hurricane bearing down on the state this week. So I don't know like what the field conditions are going to be like. What the attendance is going to be like for this ball game, and I don't know what what Kent State's going to run. So there may be kind of a feeling out period is to figure out exactly what they're going to run because nobody seems to know. I couldn't find their spring game online, so they didn't show anything. Did they play a spring game? I, <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I, it really is a, a huge mystery to me on this.
0: This should be 31. It's preposterous. Five, no, I'm not five, saying I, that. I, I, no, no. Maybe it should
2: be 27. Maybe it should be 45. Like I really, I, I don't know. I need the Google
1: numbers on how many people searched for Kent State Spring Game 2023. Because I'm those. telling you, there was only one. It's it one. Bud.
0: It's <laughs> the area. Oh my
1: gosh.
0: Um, wake uh, post Sam Hartman era starts. Mitch Griffiths taking over. It's Elon. They're going to be able to, you know, pretty much push him around. Uh, I at least that is my expectation. If anything otherwise would be concerning. You know, I I don't have much for the FCS opponents. Those uh, those games that you know Missouri's going to be playing, Arizona State's going to be playing. Uh, outside of the two games that we discussed, consider me uh, all in on NC State, UConn, and that mm-hmm. being a, a good. Listen, if you're going to make an argument that NC State is a top five team in the ACC, I'll hear it. But we want to see that Robert and I, Brandon Armstrong offense get out and cook a little bit because they should given the matchup uh, here in this spot. Anything else
2: we're not doing In, Friday stuff right that's that's for for Thursday
0: yeah okay you have Wednesday we're drafting games. Ooh, buddy, it's the Week 1 Game Draft. Consider it a viewer's guide of sorts. We're going to be picking uh, one game from each of the three major windows, whether it's noon Eastern time, 3.30, and then in prime time. We've got a wild card spot if you want to use that for after dark, if you want to double up on noon 3.30 or the prime time. It is your way to know how to plan out your day it is the week one game draft. So come hang out with us live Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Brunello. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at BudEllion3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very
1: much. Subscribe to the channel. The chase for 50K begins now. Let's go subscribe.